Welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez. We are joined by uh, two special guests today. We have got Josh Hammer back in studio. Always great to be You're here. You're becoming a regular. I, I am becoming a regular slowly. It's happening. I think we're going to just... Ron Paul Jiff, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we're trying to steal you from the Daily Wire. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. That was such an attorney shrug. Can neither confirm nor deny, so I'm just going to shrug. Uh, and we are also joined by uh, Jeremy Dice, who is a religious liberty attorney with First Liberty. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. You, and just give a real quick, brief overview of what First Liberty does. Yeah, First Liberty is the nation's le largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to defending religious liberty. So all we do is defend uh, the free exercise of religion and against anything uh, having to do with the establishment of religion or the, uh, the clauses that are in the First Amendment dealing with religion. Yeah. All right. Um, Pat, Mr. Pat Gray, back with Not us. Not an attorney, by the way. Not an attorney. It'll surprise a lot of people. Not an Esquire. <laughs> What's your top story? Uh, I think the, the drums of war is probably the top story today. Okay. Oh, you are sitting in Glenn's seat, so you got to go with mm -hmm. the doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can appreciate that. Josh. So, Qatari propaganda outlet Bin Laden's favorite media network, Al Jazeera, tweets out a flagrantly vile anti-Semitic video and then takes it down. So, let's break that down and talk about the implications of that. Okay. All right, and Jeremy. I got to talk about my alma mater, Taylor University. They had invited Vice President Mike Pence to give the commencement address this year, which I would have loved to have had when I was a graduate. But some graduates walked out of that, and there's a controversy that's there, and it actually involves religious liberty, too. So I wanted to talk about that. Mm. All right, a lot to get into. Obviously, first, we want to thank our sponsor, FreedomWorks. So heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, these are all obviously really horrific illnesses that plague countless Americans today. Now, thankfully, America's doctors and researchers are working around the clock to find cures for them all. But if government officials like HHS Secretary Alex Azar get their way, that could all change. Uh, their government-managed bureaucratic approach could set U.S. medical innovation back decades, which would ultimately force countless Americans to die waiting for treatments that may never be discovered. We cannot afford to let that happen. Please go to FreedomWorks. That is www.freedomworks.org news and tell Azar to fix patients, not prices, before Americans will suffer. They will suffer from medicine shortages. They will get endless wait times for treatments. We're talking about that happening over in the UK. We talk about that happening all the time and how terrible it is. We don't want that to happen here. Thankfully, Freedom Works, they are sounding the alarm, but they have to have your help if they are going to succeed. They need you to go to www.freedomworks.org news. Tell Azar and members of Congress to fix patients, not prices right now. All right. You did Pat. say that is www. www. Yes, I did. Can't get used to that. It's only been... 25 years. Mm -hmm. So I mean, just in case there was any confusion, I just wanted to clear <laughs> it up. I think there was, but I'm glad you cleared it up. Okay, thank just you. in case. The partial I mean, wide web, that could be uh, very uh, confusing. It could, the PWW. That's very confusing. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, your top story. Um, well, the President Trump tweeted out that uh, if Iran uh, threatens us again, essentially, if, if they want to fight, if Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran, never threaten the United States again. Okay, well, now, first of all, have we ever had a president in the past that would do anything like this? It just seems like the bluster of Iran and Iraq and whatever other uh, dirtbag nation was was uh, blustering. Every time they, we were threatened, it just kind of mm -hmm. laid there. 
Mm -hmm. And we allowed them to threaten us um, with with this president. Uh, I think we've seen it's that's not the case. And while it kind of feels good to have that uh, responded to from time to time, uh, I think it's also a little bit dangerous and you have to be ready to back that up. And I'm not sure anybody wants to start uh, another conflict in the Middle East with us involved. I mean, I I certainly don't. Yeah. And. So it might be time for cooler heads to prevail. And, um, you know, if you wanted to force a regime change in Iran, we've seen how regime change works and what it would take in the Middle East, uh, and especially with Iran, to bring about something like that. There was a, uh, an admiral in the Royal Navy that said it would take a million troops uh, to go pacify Iran and bring about that kind of change. And even if you were to bring about that kind of change in Iran, usually we don't like the outcome. Um, just because you don't like this particular uh, ruling class in Iran doesn't mean the one after it would be better. In fact, they'd probably be worse, and that's normally what we've seen. Um, so it's just kind of dangerous yeah. and would like to see that maybe taper off a little bit. Josh, what could possibly go wrong with the president tweeting this out? Yeah, so Trump tweeted a lot at Kim Jong-un, right? And we haven't gone toward North Korea yet. I'm not apologizing for Donald Trump, but I that we should at least temper our you know, pessimism as to his aggressive tactics. He, here's, here's how I see the situation. Iran is the number one state sponsor of global jihadism. They have been, since the revolution in 1979, they are a uniquely evil actor on the world stage. I am not calling for regime change tomorrow. I am saying this is a uniquely evil threat. They fund Hezbollah in Lebanon, and Hezbollah obviously is active all throughout South America and Central America. They're right in there with Sinaloa cartels and Zetas all throughout the drug trafficking and human trafficking. Uh, Iran literally tried to assassinate the Saudi ambassador to the U.S. at an upscale restaurant in Washington, D.C. back in 2012. They are literally threatening to annihilate both the U.S. and Israel on a fairly weekly basis. They are funding uh, the genocidal Houthi rebels in Yemen. They frequently th threaten to close the Strait of Hormuz, which is, which is responsible for roughly one-fifth to one-third of the world's oil transport. They try to assassinate targets in Europe all the time. This is, like, this is a pretty unhinged, radical Islamist regime. No question. What is interesting, though, about the Iranian people is that the Iranian people actually are not a good fit for this regime. There have been lots of polls. I'm thinking back to this one poll. It was an Anti-Defamation League's global survey of anti-Semitic sentiment throughout the entire world back in 2014. Compare um, the West Bank and Gaza, the so-called Palestinian territories, um, Ninety-three percent of Palestinians harbor anti-Semitic views. In Iran, it was only like fifty percent, uh, which is actually dramatically lower than most of the Middle East, because a lot of the older Iranians are actually remnants of the pre-Islamic Revolution Shah regime, which was autocratic and dictatorial, but it was fairly pro-Western. So I don't think that what we're doing right now, in terms of the bellicose rhetoric, the mass crippling sanctions, sending in an aircraft carrier indeed to the Gulf is necessarily gonna put us on a true war footing. I think that we are appropriately treating a threat. We probably have a once a generation opportunity to create crippling pressure such that a domestic coup d'etat might take place. And you know, Tom Cotton the other day kind of flippantly said that this will, this will be over in two strikes. He may or may not be right about that. That's not really my area of knowledge to be honest with you, but I can say that to the extent that these actors in Tehran are even like remotely rational, remotely, they know they'd be wiped out instantaneously because it's not just the United States. The Saudis despise the Iranians. Obviously, the Israelis is their arch nemesis. This, if they fire upon us, they're, they're dead. 
So I, I don't see like a huge war anytime soon. I think we're trying to just truly cripple them and maybe encourage the Iranian people to rise up like they did in 79. Yeah. I'll be with a better result, hopefully. Jeremy, you want to jump in? Yeah, well, look, at least we're not shipping over crates and crates full of cash and landing it on the airstrip over there to prop up an administration in that part of the world that has been nothing but trouble for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not this is bellicose rhetoric by the president, I think everybody kind of sees it as it is. I mean, I, I've long joked that I'd hate to be the president's attorney because I go into the court, Your Honor, the pres oh, well, it's actually different now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is the, he's the master of understatement, right? At the very least, he's, he's sending a message here like he did, I think, with North Korea. I think he brought that up. Uh, that we're not going to be pushed around and that there are boundaries within which world leaders are supposed to operate. And part of those boundaries include respecting your own people. And right now, the, the, the leadership of Iran has been anything but supportive of that region and especially towards their own people. I look at it from a perspective that we come from regarding religious liberty, whether that's in Iran or China and other places. Uh, this has been a real problem for the people there to be able to live what we recognize in our Declaration of Independence is a creator-given right mm -hmm. to be able to worship their creator as they see fit to do. That's not being done in so many areas of the world. Now, that's not a reason to go in and, and have a war, yeah. but I think it is, it is at least the wise part that if a problem actually does arise, there better be a way for us to be able to respond to it, and a carrier in the region is, is an appropriate measure to take in that regard. Okay. Pat, you're more like Switzerland. Yeah, I want to stay out I'm of a little tired business. of the intervention. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think we need to police the world anymore. We, we've done that for long enough, mm -hmm. and uh, it stretched us pretty thin. And another war in the Middle East is just something I don't want to see. Um, and so this is kind of dangerous footing to be on. Uh, I'm not saying that war is imminent, but I mean, why, why push that even further than it already is? Um, I don't want to commit another... Uh, 120,000 or 200,000 people to a war in Iran and commit our troops to another uh, hopeless cause. Yeah. Uh, just trying to bring about change in the Middle East is a really, really iffy task. Yeah. And it doesn't usually turn out the way you want it to. Very delicate, for sure. Uh, all right, Josh, the Holocaust denying video Al Jazeera produced that they don't want you to see. Yeah, so uh, pretty crazy stuff here. So Al Jazeera which is literally the state-run propaganda mouthpiece for the government of Qatar, which is the number one funder and exporter of Sunni Islamist jihadism the world over, tweeted out a video that the Israeli foreign ministry, I think, quite accurately called Holocaust denialism. They actually took it down with the backlash, but let's read the clip of the video right now. Denouncing the Holocaust is a moral obligation, but Israel is the biggest winner from the Holocaust, and it uses the same Nazi justifications as a launching pad for the racial cleansing and annihilation of the Palestinians. Wow. Mm. And, and that's not even the full clip. Elsewhere in the video, they refer to the notion that six million Jews died in the Holocaust as a much regurgitated narrative. <gasps> Literally Holocaust denialism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they talk about how Zionists were complicit with Hitler, how the Jewish, agent, the Jewish Agency for Israel, which is the number one organization committed to get Jews to make Aliyah, to return to Israel, made an agreement with the Third Reich to, uh, basically for the Jews in Germany to basically give up their property to then freely immigrate to uh, what was then the British Mandate for Palestine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, where, where, where to begin, right? Um, so they, they took down the video. It's actually really interesting. Their social media post in Arabic and English that Al Jazeera did was extraordinarily different. This is a very common tactic that Al Jazeera does. So thank God for this organization called Memory, the Middle East Media Research Institute, which does amazing work. They translate all these videos from Arabic into English to basically divulge wow. stuff just like this. Yeah. So good for Al Jazeera for taking it down, but 
There are broader implications here. Um, Ilan Omar, for example, frequently retweets Al Al Jazeera outlets or or, or, uh, spokespeople, I should say. Mehdi Hassan, who is uh, an Al Jazeera uh, commentator on the dole of the Qatari regime, is a frequent guest at CNN. Um, How far do we unravel this? And the bigger geopolitical implication of this is... We need to talk more about Qatar. Qatar is a tiny country. It is about two and a half to three million people. It is the wealthiest country in the world. It sits on the the world's largest natural gas field. They are uniquely evil. They are the number one funder of the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, and Sunni Islamist jihadism all across the region. They have a lot of top people in Doha who openly give to Al-Qaeda and Islamic State, and the government there does not crack down. But Qatar plays a, a, a very interesting game. They actually fund more higher education initiatives in the United States than any country in the world. That includes China, Britain, Russia, any major country. And they do that to try to very perniciously and subtly distill their Islamist message. So, for example, the Georgetown Middle East Studies Department, Georgetown University, prestigious university, is completely Qatari money. The Brookings Institute, which is probably the major center-left foreign policy thing in D.C., Qatari money. Huh. But they play this two-faced game because, think about it, like FC Barcelona, like where Lionel Messi is, probably one of the most iconic soccer teams in the world. Qatar Airways, right across the jersey. Qatar sponsors these lavish parties because they have all this money. Sean Spicer, the former uh, White House press secretary, was recently tweeting out how great a time he had at the Qatari embassy. They play a duplicitous two-faced game. And I, for one, am personally really sick of it. Um, in 2017, the Saudis, Emiratis, and Bahrainis instituted this embargo, this blockade of Qatar that Trump was initially supportive of. Rex Tillerson, I think, quite mistakenly talked him out of it. Um, but those countries in the Middle East still have this blockade on Qatar. Um, it's time to call this regime out for what it is. Currently, we have a major Air Force base, the United States does, al Air Force Base in Doha. We need to get out and treat this country like the evil country that it is. But for now, Good for Al Jazeera for pulling it down, but let's stop treating Al Jazeera as anything other than the Qatari mouthpiece that it is. It's Bin Laden's favorite media network. He would always go there to spew his his bile. And we should stop treating even their English North American equivalent, AJ Plus, like as anything other than Islamist terroristic propaganda. Wow. Jeremy, you want to weigh in? It just shocks me that in 2019, after all the world has been through in the last century, that this would even be an issue that we're talking about today, that uh, anyone would try to cloak that kind of Holocaust denialism within some sort of relevant media story today. It's absurd. And yet we keep coming back to it. So there must be a reason why we keep coming back to it all. And, and I hope it is at the very least to remind us of the millions that have been lost to these kinds of things. Anywhere where this is supported, it has to be completely denounced. I, I remember years ago, a, a, a speaker coming on campus to talk about the Holocaust. And I was never more moved by the, at the end of his events, he said, for those of you who, who don't think this ever occurred, and he rolls up his sleeve and reveals the tattoo on his arm that he got in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. I was there, he says. Uh, that is poignant, but it is a reminder that there were real people that lost real lives and at a real point in history because of the inaction of people that we see even today occurring, denying things like this that could ever happen. What this at least reveals is the banality of man that is so deep and so widespread that it can eliminate a people group across the globe. Now, I pray that that never happens uh, in situations like this. I echo a lot of what he says. Thank goodness they took it down, but that it should have never gotten up in the first place. Yeah, Pat, last word. Anti-Semitism, alive and well. Yeah, and let's not forget, we've got several people in the U.S. Congress who are spewing that kind of rhetoric. Um, and anytime something starts out with something sympathetic about the Holocaust and then says, but... Yeah. 
you know what's coming, and you know where they stand, and you know it's anti-Semitic. And we just we can't accept that. All right, back in a minute. move on, I want to thank our sponsor, Cruise Through History. So, there is a really, really amazing cruise taking place next spring. You have got to hear about this. Um, so, imagine, if you will, cruising through uh, the Mediterranean and being joined by people like Glenn Beck, uh, Stu, Rabbi Lappin, Bill O'Reilly, David Barton. Does that not sound like a dream come true? Can you imagine all of the things that these guys can tell you uh, about history? You can live this on the cruise through history taking place next spring. You can go back in time to the foundations of our faith, our freedom, and human progress. So, um, there are four different options, but in a nutshell, you will begin in Venice, and then you'll sail right on through the Eastern Mediterranean. You will visit Croatia, Greece, and Israel. That's huge. Imagine having Glenn Beck there to talk to you when you are in Israel about the Holy Land. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. He's going to give you so much information. You're going to be like, okay, Glenn, I got it. I got it. I just want to finish seeing the sights. That's enough. You're going you're gonna to get all the history you will ever want to hear. Uh, if that sounds enticing to you, and it should, it's going to be an amazing time. You can go to comesailaway.com to learn more. That is comesailaway.com for all of the details. Jeremy, uh, you said that you're going to talk about your alma mater. I am. Taylor University is in the middle of a cornfield in Upland, Indiana, a little north of Indianapolis, Indiana. It's been there since 1846, and it's a private Christian uh, liberal arts college in, in Indiana. And it really has been very committed to the Orthodox Christian faith for, well, its entire history. I mean, you got guys like Milo Rediger who helped found the institution, and their, their mission is to develop servant leaders to carry the mission of the gospel across the world. And that's what they do. I, I had a, my degree comes from there, my undergrad degree comes from there. Um, you've got uh, the, the principle uh, that they call the, the integration of faith and learning. We've got a bell tower on campus that literally comes together to symbolize how we apply our faith to what we're learning in the classroom as well. Well, a couple months ago, they invited uh, Vice President Pence to come provide the commencement address this year. And this past Saturday, he, in fact, did that very thing. And when that announcement came out, there was a, a big controversy that seemed to erupt almost overnight because anywhere Mike Pence tends to go, apparently controversy follows with him because of his commitment to his faith uh, and specific issues of religious liberty and a number of things like that as well. So there were a group of, uh, of alumni, a few uh, faculty members, and a uh, handful of students that basically had a political axe to grind against the university uh, and used this opportunity to try to sharpen that axe a little bit more and, and try to push the university in the direction that it wants to go. Uh, I'm grateful for people like uh, President Lowell Haynes of the university who said, we're not going to put up with that mess. Uh, we're not rescinding the invitation of Vice Pre President Pence. He did give his commencement address on this past Saturday. And I watched a little bit of the commencement ceremony, especially when they walked across the stage. And it was interesting to me to see students that would come across the stage and almost all of them would stop and try to engage the vice president in some manner, whether it was just a quick handshake. I was surprised by how many stopped, and you could see them saying, thank you for being here. We are really grateful for you to be here as well. Um, and yet there were a number of students who I just think it is personally just as rude, but would walk by and not even acknowledge that he existed, just walk right past him. They get their diploma, they skip him entirely and go off to the rest of the stage as well, which I just think is, is flatly rude. rude. Uh, and apparently before the commencement or the speech began itself, 
about a dozen or so of them walked out of the ceremony, like uh, some had done back in, in uh, Notre Dame a couple years ago when the vice president spoke there. What's most surprising to me is that that was all coordinated by a couple of professors within the sociology department of the university. And so it, it, it frustrates me as an alumni that you have... Uh, that you have university professors now that want to try to shift the university from the inside. And the direction that they want to go is opposite of what this university has been about. And here's why it matters most to me as a a religious liberty attorney. If these students are learning that this is acceptable and right right now, think of all that Vice President Pence has been criticized for, Mm -hmm. right? For being a person of faith in public, for engaging in discussions in defense of religious liberty, for speaking on behalf of the unborn before the March for Life. You can think of his Pence rule or what we used to call the Billy Graham rule of meeting not privately with a member of the opposite sex and doing that with some wisdom, I think. Uh, And then on top of that, even his wife had the audacity to teach at a Christian school, which had the audacity to require their employees as they're teaching Christian students at a Christian school about Christianity to require them to live Christianly. Uh, And that is a problem, apparently. If that is the case, then the question I have for the professors at Taylor that disagree, and and thankfully, I believe they're in the minority at Taylor, uh, and I think the alumni and the students also that have been largely opposed to this are in the minority. They've just been the great squeaky wheel. But if if that's the case, what about the student in the class of 2019 that is the next Mike Pence? Mm. That's the next Karen Pence. What happens when that doctoral student that's going to go into medicine next and get his, uh, his MD and start serving patients, but has a uh, commitment to leading the Bible study at church or Sunday school, and all of a sudden his hospital or he goes to serve for the, uh, the, in public health, and the state decides, well, what you said on Sunday is qualification enough for you to be terminated here. What about the small business owner that has just gotten his business degree at Taylor, goes in to open up a cake shop or what have you, and is all of a sudden kicked out of its uh, business place of business by a, a riot or a mob there that wants to drive them away for simply operating their business according to their faith? What about the elementary ed student who graduates from Taylor and tells its student there what, what will happen based on this level of education that those small professors have received or are given now? That student's going to go tell the student trying to read his Bible during free reading time at, at school that he can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. These are all real cases that we've actually engaged in at First Liberty Institute. And what I'm concerned about is that if these types of professors are going to be allowed to continue that kind of education, even at a Christian liberal arts college that's been there since 1846, we've got real problems. And then just on top of it all as a pragmatic matter... Do we really need another institution that has this kind of thing going on? We've got innumerable state universities that have that type of mentality already. Go to one of those institutions. You shouldn't be surprised Mm. to find a university that has a commitment to historic Christianity that's been there since 1846 act in a way that is committed to historic Christianity. Uh, and, And so... I'm in one part very proud of my institution, my, my alma mater, for welcoming the vice president on the, onto the national stage to do their commencement. I'm really proud of Lowell Haynes, the president, for unbending and remaining committed to that, that promise, that inv- invitation. That's really good, and I hope that continues. But I have a small concern of the few alumni, the even fewer students, and I hope even the more minuscule amount of professors that have a desire to try to push it off of its foundation, off of its moorings. Uh, and I hope that that'll never be the case. Jeez, Mike Pence has got to come in from all sides. He's got Pete Buttigieg attacking him, and Mike's like, I thought we were friends. And then he's got a Christian university walking out. The world is upside down. Back in a minute. I'd be hard-pressed to think of what it is he's... Uh, that's what I was trying. I was trying to rack my brain. Oh, 
right, Josh, uh, you have any recent pieces out at Real Daily Wire that people can stay tuned for? So I'll have a piece up today about the Al Jazeera Qatar controversy. So look forward to that a little, a little later in the day. All right, at the Daily Wire and Jeremy. Well, if Josh approves it, I'm going to write on my topic today <laughs> as well. And hopefully he'll post it at the Daily Wire today later on as well. Really? Oh, so. no pressure, Josh. No pressure. I mean, it's just that he's right here and he's <laughs> wanting your approval. But other he's than not that, that no scary pressure. looking, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the vault has just a face. And then for uh, those of you who have not yet signed up for Blaze TV, I don't know what you're waiting for, really. We've got the greatest lineup, uh, might I say, in, in history like in the history of the world. And you can use promo code NEWS right now. You can get $10 off of your annual subscription. We do this little thing called overtime uh, every day. And if you're not subscribed, you're not a subscriber, you're missing it. You're missing it. We're going into it right now. Join us at blazetv.com. Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze TV subscribers. Not a subscriber? Start your free trial at blazetv.com. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, realestateagentsitrust.com. So there are a lot of people who um, dabble in real estate. Um, they do it part-time and, you know, you get the recommendation of, well, my friend's brother's sister's dog sitter's niece's nephew is a real estate agent. You should use them. Yeah, don't do that. What you want to do is go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, Glenn founded the company with the idea that there are there's way too much noise going on when it comes to real estate agents, right? There's so many of them and a lot of times you don't know if you are getting the right one. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for their brand. They're not in it to get you uh, the best deal. So he formed this team. His team vets all of these real estate agents. So they are ex- they are the experts in their area. They are doing it full time. They're not a dabbler. Um, and they are going to be the ones to know what is going to be appropriate, an appropriate place for you and your family, especially if you're moving somewhere where you're relocating. You have no idea. You don't know what the nice neighborhoods are. You don't know where the family-friendly areas are. That is why you need to go to realestateagentsitrust.com if you are looking to buy or sell a home. It's only the biggest investment you're probably ever going to make in your life, right? So you want to make sure you do it right, realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, so we were talking about Mike Pence and his commencement speech. There was another commencement speech that made headlines over the weekend at Morehouse College. Pat. Yeah, Robert F. Smith, who's a billionaire, um, gave a commencement speech and then surprised the entire class of 2019 by telling him he was going to pay all of their student debt. Pretty cool. Um, and, and a pretty good way to, to celebrate your capitalist success mm-hmm. because obviously he's been pretty successful in life. And he well, took, he's just a billionaire, though. Just a billionaire. Yeah. He's not a trillionaire. Right. So I mean, let's not, you know. hey, there's still time. Uh, there's time. <laughs> Lazy. So he took his own money and pledged it to a really cool cause. I mean, that's great. And in, they said it's probably, that probably represents about $40 million. So it's a significant contribution um, to those kids. And it frees them up uh, to, to not have to worry about seventy dollars or $80,000 worth of student debt. Um, but AOC obviously took the occasion to... Uh, to push her agenda, uh, she tweeted out, every Morehouse class of 2019 student is getting their student debt load paid off by their commencement speaker. This could be the start of what's known in econ as a natural experiment. 
Follow these students and compare their life choices with their peers over the next 10 to 15 years. She also had some other things to say about how, oh, it's important to note that people shouldn't be in a situation where they depend on a stranger's enormous act of charity for this kind of liberation to begin with. But it is an incredible act of community investment in this system as it is. Okay, so obviously she, she hates the system, mm-hmm. and the system is terrible, even though it produced this guy mm-hmm. who's able to do that kind of charity. It wasn't done by a government, and it shows exactly what we talk about all the time. Become successful as a capitalist, as an entrepreneur. You can do whatever you want with your money. You can give it to 400 kids who are graduating and pay off their debt, or you can keep it and buy beer with it the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, do whatever you want with it. Either way, you're contributing to the economy, and you're creating jobs. Uh, but in her mind, it's not a good thing because the kids have accrued debt. Well, right. <laughs> of their own free will. They decided to go to school and take on the debt. And they're getting a nice education for it, which is going to help them in their career. Did they have to accrue debt? No. They could have saved during their high school years. They could have gotten out. My brother uh, worked two jobs and supported a wife and a child as he was going through Boise State. I mean, he just paid his way through college, which is something that doesn't seem possible anymore. If you, if you bring that up, it's like something that can't be done. It's a total impossible quest now. You don't have to come out of college with $100,000 in debt or $200,000 in debt. You can go to community college. You can go to a trade school. You can go to a, uh, a state university. You don't have to go to Yale or some private in institution in order to uh, get a college education. If you choose to do that, all right, you've committed. You've got that great education, the best provided in the world. Now you've got to pay for it. I, it's just, it's unbelievable, the mentality now. It is interesting because, uh, you know, you do bring up the fact that there are other ways. There are, are alternative ways to mm-hmm. fund, you know, your journey through college. And even if that means maybe you graduate high school and you work for a few years and save up money. Right. Uh, you know, you live in a studio apartment or whatever the case may be. Heaven forbid you have to do that. Right. And it's like that isn't even entered into the equation, Josh, all. when you're talking to, you know, uh, all of these socialists who are trying to take over the university system. Yeah, I mean, LOL, the notion that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thinks that she knows like a darn thing about economics, right? Uh, just, I mean, if, if yeah, I love she graduated that. with a degree. Right, you would think that she would know economics. something, but I mean. Was she, yeah. was she referring to a city? Because it said econ, capital E, econ in her tweet. I wasn't sure where econ was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved that na- That that's the natural experiment. Yeah. Like, I think the natural experiment was America yeah. as a capitalist mm-hmm. nation. Mm-hmm. And so far we've done pretty darn great. Yeah, so I, too, for the record, was an economics major and undergraduate. I would probably aver that I probably had a better economics GPA than her. I wouldn't know anything about that, but I'm just guessing. But anyway, LOL at that. But <laughs> I think Pat nailed it. The original sin of the student loan crisis is that the federal government subsidizes mass student loans well below market rate. And we are incentivizing, we are perversely incentivizing way too many people to go to college who shouldn't go to college. They would be a better fit for community school, for trade school. And then when when a lot of these people get there... They major in queer studies or feminist theory. <laughs> I cannot or, get an income. So. <laughs> yeah. Lesbian and, interpretive dance. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh-huh. and like you graduate with uh, six figures in debt and like, no kidding, like you don't have a job. No kidding, you're going to be indebted for years. So our incentive structure, this is an economics concept, by the way, to Ocasio-Cortez. Econo- economists talk about incentives all the time. We have massive perverse incentives from the federal government. They have a 
95% plus near monopoly, I believe, on the student loan market. That is insane. Mm-hmm. They should be getting out, out of that business in its entirety. Let private actors do it. They can charge appropriate interest rates. They can then uh, underwrite applicants to college on a case-by-case basis so they can interview what do you want to major in, what are your life chances, and, and, and tailor an appropriate student loan to that applicant and with a proper rate. So. That is, that is the original sin of the student loan market. I would love to see policymakers and conservatives talk more about how the government needs to get out of that. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, obviously, certainly the case will be that once we have free universities, the quality will go up. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, that, that's proven time and time again. When the government gets involved, it gets better. Uh, what I love about this story more than anything else, I think, and one that we, we could miss if we're not careful, is how this gentleman has come from the African-American community, made himself something, returned yep. to his African-American community, and is now empowering Fantastic not only those story. students to become like examples, but empowering that university to be even better. Because that, that, uh, that ability to kind of push off all that debt and, and get rid of all those uh, things allows that university to train even more um, young men and women from the African-American community as, the, as that institution has done for years. I think that's fantastic yeah. that that's the case here. In addition to all these, all, all these other economic arguments that are out there, it's great to see how without the aid of government, private industry is investing in the African-American community for a better and brighter future. That can be done too. Another interesting aspect of this is why do college, colleges bear no burden uh, in this war of emotions over the tuition they charge? They're completely exempt from any criticism. Like you're, they're the ones that are raising their tuition fees. It's not the government raising their fees. It's these colleges and universities like Harvard, who's charging you 60000 a year to go to school. Well, Harvard has an endowment of close to $40 billion. They could, they could use their student body, which, I don't know, is 15000 or whatever it is right now. They could pay for that amount of students to graduate from Harvard every year for the next 25 years wow. with that endowment. And they, get, they, they share no burden in, in the cost of, of tuition. Well, and then on top of that, they start imposing upon other civil rights that are out there as well. This happened recently. Was it at, at Yale Law School, I believe it was, where they started? Yale Law School. Their, their students weren't allowed to yeah. uh, participate in a, a scholarship program of some sort or a stipend that they were receiving for working at institutions like our law firm or other religious uh, organizations like that as well. Perfectly fine for secular students going to secular places, but the religious ones, not so, not so much. Yale has something like $400 million annually in federal contracts. They have to actually agree that they will not discriminate on the basis of religion in order to get those research and other uh, uh, grants from the federal government. It, it, I think it's time, like it is with a lot of cities that are saying no to Chick-fil-A coming into airports, kind of south of here, uh, for the federal government to step in and say, wait, 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 wait. We mean what we said when you said you can't discriminate on the basis of religion. Right. You're doing that. Goodbye, federal grants. There are other institutions that are more deserving of, of this than you are. Yeah. That may begin yeah. to, to drive some of those things down. Well, I, I also want to bring um, into the conversation, you know, while... As you pointed out, these things are going on that we're basically being shown, hey, this is a shining example of the American dream that we're all, you know, we all can accomplish if we all work hard and, you know, um, make the right choices. And yet at the same time that this is being shown as the shining example, we are diving deeper into, you know, the depths of socialism. And it's just hard for me to understand how these two conversations can be going on at the same time. I wish I could square it for you because I'm, I'm in the same perplexed boat that you are where you see people saying, I've got a lot of money because I've worked hard to get that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where the, the And that I want in. to share it. 
and that I want I mean, to be philanthropy yes, exactly. is a Which natural is counter to the narrative, of right, of the socialists right now to say right. no, 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 uh, they're hogging too much of this wealth. Wasn't it Bernie Sanders that said something similar to that over the weekend here that if we can pay millions and millions yes. to baseball players, yes. certainly yes. we can yes. find some. Right. As if the I don't nation think that's funds, how it works. Yeah, yeah. funds uh, baseball it's players. Yeah. No, no, that's not. There's a whole other discussion for that right there. But no, people are willing to invest and to provide that charitable effort around the country with those things. But I, what I was going to point out was that I'm sure that money did not come easy to this commencement speaker. Right. He had to work and labor and probably come over, overcome a lot of hurdles that were thrown in his way unjustly mm-hmm. in this age. Uh, and, and that is a wonderful example. Here's the problem. We've forgotten what it means to work hard. I like to tell my kids when they're wanting to do something easy that anything hard is worth doing. Mm-hmm. And it is. Every single time I've approached something that was hard and gotten through it, it's been a benefit to me. And I think you would have the same kind of stories out there because we persevere. We work. Our, our, we need to do more to challenge our students. And I hope that what came with this grant uh, that this gentleman provided these students was the challenge for them to go and do likewise. Let me say something positive about Taylor. Years ago, they started a uh, one alumni started giving two dollars to every graduate that would come across the stage. The idea was they gave him actually three. The idea was that when he came off, you gave the dollar bill as a, as a payback to the university. And then the next year, you gave that $2 bill on your anniversary of your graduation. And then the year after that, you're supposed to give four and then eight and so on. And the principle of compound interest applied to this as well, so mm-hmm. that by the time you got so far out, mm-hmm. the university is being funded by its own students. That is that kind of private incentive that I'd love to see coming back more and more today. And I wish I could have kept up with that, by the way. From my graduation to this day, uh, I would have outstripped my income at that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Friday's poll. We had a... a Hotly or a, a hot debate on abortion, I think Thursday and Friday. Friday's poll was when should abortion be legal? We heard from you. 61% of you said never. Uh, 27% said before eight weeks. 7% said before the third trimester. Do you guys realize what happens in the second trimester? Uh, and 5% said always. I have to wonder who the 5% was who answered always. I'm hoping that they were just, uh, pe- they were retweets. Maybe right? Jim Carrey. Maybe Jim Carrey stumbled across uh, our, our poll. Ralph, Ralph Northam, likely. perhaps. Yeah, Ralph Northam, well, if there was an option there, yeah, that said after birth, um, up until maybe the age of two or three, yeah. Ralph Northam definitely would have been in that. Pete Buttigieg could have been getting ready for his town hall and getting something there as well. Maybe, know. maybe so. That's Okay, I'm sorry. I try not not to criticize anymore uh, the answers of the poll. And if Stu was here, he'd give me a hard time. But before the third trimester, there's a problem there. Seven percent said before the third trimester. Um, and if you add up the before the third trimester and always, that's that's in the teens now. Um, the babies like developed. Uh, before the third trimester, and I think it's what um, twenty-one weeks is now viability. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of crazy, guys. If any of you out there are the ones who uh, who said that, that's that's pretty disturbing. Uh, today's poll: What did you think of the Game of Thrones ending, good or bad? I have no comment because I'm I don't watch it. Don't either. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I'm deeply in favor of it having ended. so we can stop hearing about it (laughs) i actually i didn't mind it um i watched the first three seasons and then i just got caught up doing other things and my so my brain needs a break at the end of the night 
and I can't keep up with all of the names and all of the places that they're from, and it all sounds the same to me at the end of the day. So I had decided to table Game of Thrones until uh, my life becomes a little bit less chaotic and I can actually focus in on it. So far, I have managed to avoid the spoilers. From really? yeah, wow. from the show. I have no idea it's still impressive. what happens. Mm. I know. I don't think that it'll last very much longer. And apparently, my husband uh, saw a spoiler today, so he already knows. But for now, I don't know what happens. Uh, you can let us know what you think if you are a Game of Thrones fan. Let us know what you think at the Blaze's Twitter. That is at the Blaze. I think Jeffy did a live. Um, or he's doing a live. Mm-hmm. What, do you know when that is? Uh, I think it just happened. Okay. Okay. It just. It ju- it, that's yeah. right. It just happened. So c- can they go back and watch or listen to it as a podcast? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So you guys can look up Talking Thrones. I know um, Jeffy Fisher and I know Jason Buttrell was going to be there. So you can go back and find that wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever free podcasts are sold. <laughs> Whatever it is, he says. <laughs> uh, so make sure you can go back and listen to that and then let us know what you think. We'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for listening to the News and Why It Matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.